All right, people, beautiful stuff. Rich Harvey's back on the show. I don't know what what number this episode must be for you as a guest on the show, Rich, but thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's great to be on the show again. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, If people haven't heard you before or are unaware of what you do within the property industry, could you just give us the Cliff's notes of like who you are and what you do? Sure, Damien. So um, I'm the CEO and founder of Property Buyer, which is an independent buyer's agency. Um, So I'm a a buyer's advocate. I use the word advocate now more than agent. There's a bit of a vernacular change since last time because the word agent is very transactional, whereas the word advocate implies a level of protection and greater confidence. And, And that's what we do. We help people find homes, investment properties, commercial properties or development sites, uh, we sit down with the client, get an understanding of their brief, what they're looking for, how we can help them achieve their goals, uh, make sure they're realistic and they've got the right support team around them. And then we go on the journey with them to help them buy that property. Um, and that involves getting their finances set up with a mortgage broker, identifying a location that's going to be affordable and, and the right area for them, finding both on and off market properties, evaluating those properties, giving advice on what it's worth, and then helping them negotiate the best possible price um, organising exchange of contracts, due diligence, pest and building, everything else, and then finally closing the deal right through to settlement. So I used the word the other day, we're like a property concierge mm. service, you know, from beginning to end, but but we help everyone in the market, Damien, not from first-home buyers through to downsizers through to prestige buyers. We help mm. everyone. Prestige buyers is a word I don't really understand yet, but I'm assuming it's sort of like maybe the higher end of the market. Is that fair to say? Yeah, generally sort of three million yeah, plus right. is what I'd be saying. So if you're talking in the eastern suburb, that's well above six. But yeah, it's generally three and three plus. That's crazy. That's crazy. I just got a house in Dubbo for mid for like the mid fours. So yeah. crazy when you hear that number like six mil for houses. But the houses yeah. are pretty nice too. Like I I remember going through a little bit of the Sydney Harbour on a boat once. And just looking at some of the property on the on the waterfront there, like it's pretty legit. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, legit. Yeah, all that stuff at Point. If you're looking at say Point Piper, um, you probably won't get much change out of a fifty to eighty million dollars for some of those waterfronts there because they're just yeah, irreplaceable. Crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> that's so crazy. Well, um, from from the conversations we've had before, and you've got your own uh, YouTube channel where you do a lot of like webinars that people can get a lot of content from. Um, as well as like I always see your stuff with Terry Ryder is always really informative so I'll put all the uh, in the show notes of the podcast I'll link all of that that through for people that want to learn more about what you do you always are a really good asset in my head for summarizing what's going on in the property market in a concise way that isn't too confusing you know especially Mm because I've only been doing this for a few years I'm not I'm by no means that experienced or knowledgeable. So I usually just look to people like yourself. So I wondered, could you give us like the summary of where the property market went in 2022 and then maybe what's, what do you think is going to go on in 2023? Sure. So uh, 2022 was a transition year. We basically Mm -hmm. came off where we were still having the boom at the beginning of the year when the reserve bank governor was selling, saying that, interest rates aren't going to move for another two years. So everyone was still loading up heavily with debt. And then there was a bit of chatter about interest rates actually rising and maybe he's got it wrong. And as soon as that chatter started to hit, 
you, you looked at the long-term interest rates started to move upward and then the threat of interest rate rises. And I think the peak of the market was really about sort of September 2022 last year. Um, and we've obviously had you know, a significant number of rate rises since then. So, um, yeah, beginning of last year started with the bang, but really slowed down toward the end of the year as people were starting to panic about where prices were going to go and, and where interest rates, rates were going to end up. So um, we've seen property prices really drop uh, nationwide, really only about sort of 7 or 8%. Sydney, they've dropped about 12 13%. Melbourne, about 7 8%. So we've still got a little bit further to, to fall in this current correction. Um, I think Sydney will probably drop somewhere maybe 15 to 20%, but that's off the back of a 35% rise. So we're still going to end up, even when interest rates peak, at a point at which right. property values haven't gone completely backward to pre-COVID levels. You know, I think um, so much has changed in the, the economy as well. So I think, yeah, the market definitely was a transition phase and beginning of this year has been a lot slower. Um, people's borrowing capacities, Damien, has, has been really heavily hit. You know, for every 0.5% interest rate increase, yeah. it really you know, slaps your, your borrowing capacity down by about 5%. You know, so I think borrowing capacity is probably down 25 to 30% for most people. So that means if you were going to borrow a million dollars, maybe now you can only borrow 750 and that completely can change the equation on the type of property you buy and the location of a property you buy. So that's been a dramatic sort of pullback um, on the market. Uh, but having said that, um, the positive news is rents are really strong. Um, you know, we've seen rents rise 10.5% last year, according to CoreLogic, and and, you know, some of the other banks are saying they're going to go 11% higher again this year. So for the investor, um, that's positive news because it's helping to create, you know, more income to help offset the, the massive mortgage increases. It won't completely offset it, but it'll certainly help. Mm. Yeah, okay. One, mm. one thing I wondered, like, I remember your background was in economics, right? You were an economist first. That's right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Could you explain your take on 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 and off like on and offline with people I try to talk to, and I've been chatting to people in different like in the share market and the stock side of things too with investing. Um, there seems to be mostly a little bit of like a people are a bit stumped at what's going on with the the speed and the amount of cash rate rises that the RBA has been doing. I just sort of wondered, like from your perspective. Like, can you understand why they're doing what they're doing? And if so, could you explain it a little bit? Because I'm pretty confused. Like, I don't really get it. Sure. Okay. It's it's fairly, I'll try to explain it and hopefully not bore you with an economics lesson. But essentially, inflation is a really bad thing for the economy because it reduces your purchasing power. If you got $100 in your bank account, um, you can buy a certain number of goods and services with that. But if inflation is running at 10%, then you're going to need $110 to buy the same amount of goods and services in the following year. So it just erodes wealth um, and it erodes other parts of the economy. So the only way to reduce that, that sort of inflation or the inflation is, is mm. called a generic rise in a, a range of goods and services across the economy. So things like rents and petrol and food and all that sort of thing is added to the basket of goods. Now, the only way to curtail that or, or press down inflation is to reduce what they call aggregate demand. And there's a very blunt instrument, which is interest rates, because as interest rates go up, the cost of borrowing becomes more and it generally slows the economy. 
It's only one, one instrument. It's not the only thing. Um, there's a whole range of fiscal policy, and that's to do with money supply and taxation that can also help reduce demand. But essentially, interest rates are a key, key lever that the, the Reserve Bank pulls to reduce inflation. Now, a lot of this inflation hasn't been hasn't arisen necessarily from from Australia. It's it's come from worldwide forces, and obviously um, the Ukraine Russia war, which has increased prices for fuel, um, and it's also been a disruption to um, uh, supply chains like for construction materials, etc. So I believe a lot of the supply chains are starting to settle, and we're seeing inflation start to come off its peak in the other countries, which is good news. But every other reserve bank around the world has done the same thing to reduce inflation. So um, what the Reserve Bank is worried about, though, is if inflation's high, then they're also expecting wages to jump up, which they haven't, which is good. I mean, it's good and bad. It's good that we're not getting into what they call a wage price spiral, um, where prices are out of control, wages are out of control, and it just keeps getting worse. Um, but it's bad for the average worker because you don't have as much money to then buy your goods and services. So hopefully that explains it a little bit. No, no, that's good. Yeah. And like offline, an opinion I was given and this article came out today about it too, was sort of, and we'll move back to property. Cause I know like that's sort of not what you do now, but like talking about the Australia Institute, I think, which is the think tank talking about, they, they have a reason yep. to believe from research reports that it's maybe got more to do with the, uh, the profit margins of big corporations rising than it is so like if Qantas, Qantas obviously has higher costs because of the fuel they need to fly people around, but they also lost a ton of money during COVID that they would probably want to try and make back. Maybe the cost of a flight has mm. gone up a little because of fuel, but it's also gone up because they're trying to recoup losses, which would con contribute to inflation. And so maybe uh, an idea is that corporations might, I don't know this, like I'm, I'm hearing this the last couple of days, like corporations might be also trying to recoup some of the losses but i don't know i don't know where there's much to it well i guess look your corporations have just got to make strategic decisions so they can keep their customer base but yeah. also keep profitable and keep operating and it's really tough you'll see the union bosses on tv you know really just sticking the knife into the company say oh they've done a tragic thing but mm. it was the only thing they could do to actually keep the survival of the entire company you know, they had to shed some staff because they just could not sure, afford to sure. keep yeah, yeah. the whole organisation down. And that's tricky. So, look, in terms of Qantas, yeah, I mean, the, the cost of fuel is the number one input. Um, it's also the cost of maintenance and parts. I mean, they have an impeccable safety record, so they're not going to cut corners on safety either, right? Uh, they're going to make sure their engineers and everything are always double-checking everything. So it's just a general range of inputs. Um, but I think companies um, have just got to look forward now and, and readjust um, their operating procedures to to make yeah, their okay, companies okay. viable for the long term. And so I guess back to the property mm -hmm. stuff, you sort of see some of the capital cities going through maybe a little bit of a further price drop, but we're close to the peak of those drops on the on the 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 pro the the opposite side of that, if you're an investor, the cost of your mortgage may have gone up, but the amount of rent you can charge has also gone up. So there's the hope that most people will be able to at least use that to sort of buffer a bit of the pain of those rising mortgage costs. Yeah, look, I mean, 
we can't sort of characterize the property yeah. market just by one city. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even within a city, there's multiple markets. But just to give you a bit of a snapshot around the country, so Sydney's median house price is sitting at around 1.4 million. Melbourne's sitting at just over a million. Brisbane's 800,000. Adelaide's 780. Canberra's a million and 95. Perth is uh, 660. And Hobart's 735,000. So there's been a lot of jumps. You know, um, Sydney and Melbourne will be the first two cities to come off the boom, and often they'll be the ones to lead the boom. Um, the, the markets that I think have overshot is Hobart. Um, I definitely think, even though it's a beautiful place to live, I definitely think it's overshot, and it'll come back and have a bit of a, a correction. Um, Adelaide's still holding up again, but it will probably flatline again uh, after this current boom for quite some time because it just doesn't have the population growth. Fantastic uh, for if you're an investor trying to get a rental there because it's so difficult to get rentals, but uh, the rents are going up. Um, I think Brisbane uh, has also come off a bit, but it, long term, it's got excellent affordability and excellent um, scope for, for, for upsizing and uh, sorry, getting capital growth. Um, same with Canberra. I mean, but also in all of our capital cities, there is one theme that's consistent, and that is we're not building enough properties yeah. to cope with future demand. If you look at building approvals, They've come off and they're now well below their five-year averages. So what that means is that there's going to be a shortage of property. And on top of that, you've got, you know, 200,000 migrants coming into the country. That's permanent residents plus temporary visa holders, another 50 to 100,000. And where are they going to live? You know, and students, there's 50,000 Chinese students trying to come in at the moment, right? So there's a, a massive rental shortage. So the rental crisis will get worse before it gets better. Um, but it's going to be quite some time uh, before we see a, an equilibrium stage again. I think we go through these cycles, mm. right? Cost of money's gone up. Cost of construction's gone crazy. A lot of developers shelve their plans because it's not viable. We have a shortage of properties. We have a rental crisis. And then we start building everything when money gets cheaper again. So probably this time next year, you might see one or two rate cuts again to stimulate demand because we've now curtailed inflation, got it back down to maybe a 4% level. Um, I think personally, the, the inflation rate should be somewhere between three and four, not two and three. Um, that's just my own opinion, but we'll see where it ends up at the end of the day. Um, but but there's good news if you're a uh, both a homeowner or an investor. Um, but the trick is obviously yeah. getting into the market in the first place. You know, that's the hard bit, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I I just got a I bought a house two months ago, uh, and or well, three months ago, and I moved in two months ago. And that was sort of one of my other questions because I had a bit of a, a bit of a not a rude awakening, but the the amount of stress that I experienced in the first like two weeks of owning my first place was quite weird for me because I just had to get around knowing or think like I'm someone who if I know that things are wrong in mm. my life I want to address them. And when I see all the things that you need to work on at your house that you own now it gets overwhelming and stresses me out. And I'm thinking I need to cut this tree back. I need to mow this lawn. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to fix that thing in the roof. I need it. And it gets a bit overwhelming. And mm. I, I definitely learned a lot uh, in the first couple of weeks of uh, moving into my first house. So I wondered, um, could you take us through your experiences when you first got into the market as someone as for the, for, for the, um, for the context of moving into a place you were living in. So more young people that listen can go sure. like, oh, these are the things yeah. that are little reality checks I got to prepare yeah. for. Right. 
Yeah, love to love to share. I mean, I think um, I mean I got married fairly young at 23. My wife and I were really good savers. We both had jobs. We were actually both working in politics at the time, and we would just squirrel away our money and we'd travel a bit and wouldn't go out a lot. But I think we just set a budget and we set a goal of of saving. I can't remember how much it was, but a certain deposit to be able to buy a house. Um, and what we did, we actually um, wrote to a couple of people and churches we knew and said, look, is there anyone that could offer house-minded? Does anyone want their house-minded or offering cheap rent? We actually found a couple that were going overseas for work for six months and they offered their house at, at like half the rent they normally charge because they weren't going to get anyone because they didn't trust anyone, but they trusted us. And so we got to rent this place for like 100 bucks a week at the time, which would be like $400 today. Pretty good savings. So that helped us the first six months. Yeah. Um, and little things like that, you know. So it might be instead of renting a really, really nice place, you just rent a smaller place for a year or two and just put up with it. And like you got to make sacrifices, you know. If you're trying to get somewhere, um, I think this concept of deferred gratification is is a really good one. We all want it now. We all want the best car. We want the best house. But guys, you've got to learn to save. You've got to learn to put things off and and set a goal and be hungry for that goal. So yeah, we set a goal of that. Um, and then we uh, we eventually, after about a year and a half, two years, um, had saved enough money to to put our deposit down, and we paid I think two hundred and forty thousand dollars for a house in Pennant Hills at the time, back in nineteen ninety four, I think it was. Um, and we bought a big block of land; it was over a thousand square meters because I could see the potential of it. It was great, yeah. Um, but it was a real stretch. Like at the time, that's like, I mean, what's the equivalent? Probably one point three or four million dollar house today. And we were freaking out about it. It would have been a million dollar mortgage now. Like we were worried about a two hundred, you know, two hundred thousand dollar mortgage. What are we doing? I remember shaking a bit when I was signing the mortgage docs. Oh, what are we doing? Are we doing the right thing? We're going to all this debt. Yeah. How are we going to pay it back? You know, it's a thirty year mortgage anyway. Um, I was the best thing we ever did because that launched us into the property market. Mm -hmm. It got us a, a foothold into the property market. So, and it's also like for savings. I think I said this on the last podcast that. When you have a property, you know, you've got to have a mortgage and you've got to spend money to keep that asset. Um, but property is a fantastic hedge against inflation, right? It's probably one of the best hedges or protections against inflation because the house values will rise over time. You know, yes, we're going through a correction now, um, but, you know, the, the interest rates won't always be at the same level. I think they'll come back a bit uh, once we've once hit inflation on the head. Um, and we'll probably see a cash rate somewhere around three to three and a half percent longer term, uh, maybe even two and a half percent. Who knows? Um, yeah. But you know, the, the interest, the cost of money won't always be the same. So I think if you're trying to get in the market, get some buckets, right? Set your set your budget and have buckets. You have a bucket for um, food, you have a bucket for going out, a bucket for your holidays, and a bucket, big bucket, for your deposit on your house. And don't touch it. You know, and if you're worried you're going to access it, put it into, you know, I don't know, have some control or talk to your bank about not being able to touch that money until you use mm. it. Be accountable yeah. to someone. Yeah, yeah, I've got that. I've got that sorted out now even after I got, because I just want to have a good savings buffer for things going wrong. Mm. Like about a month after I moved to Dubbo with this house, we had, I was I was witness to the, the craziest storm I've ever seen in my life, Rich. Like I'm looking really? out the wow. backyard 
the backyard window and one of my trees is sideways in the wind. It was like something out of a disaster movie and I was just waiting for something on the house to go wrong and it didn't. So that was lovely. (laughs) But like if something goes wrong, you need to have the money to like cover the excess on the insurance and all that stuff. So I'm sort of going through that now, like trying not to go out drinking or anything because I need to save as much as I can. So I've got that buffer uh, and it, Yeah. yeah, it is what it is though. Um, you made a good point about insurance too. Don't don't skimp on insurance. A lot of people think, oh, what's this two grand I've got to spend? Like, absolutely, because you could lose your asset, you know. Yeah. Um, make sure you got yourself fully covered. Yeah, exactly. Um, last one I was going to cover with you was just more so about the investing stuff. I guess having your buckets, like you talked about, of like putting a, a certain amount of money of savings away and making sure you don't touch that and stay strict to that and delaying the gratification of buying something online or something you really want now for something bigger later um obviously keeping your expenses low mm. is a important part of of uh investing or getting saved for a deposit but how important is that compared to trying to get your income higher in the equation like which one's more important in your head uh, I've got a pretty simple answer for you because I, 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 at least you gave me this question on notice because it made me think about it. And the answer is yes, um, you've got to do both. And I'll give you, I'll tell you why. Um, if, if you look at the really wealthy billionaires or millionaires today, yeah. they are still frugal, right? I'll give you an example. Like I need a new bed. Um, my sons are getting married this year. We've got lots of guests coming for me to stay overseas, whatever. And instead of buying a brand new bed for like three grand, I thought it's got to be a better way. So I go on Facebook Marketplace. Um, and of course, I found uh, a, a really cool bed. It was from the comfort shop. Um, so we bought this bed, brought it home, and then a friend slept on it and said it's the most uncomfortable thing I've ever slept on, right? And we paid 500 bucks for it. And they're actually worth like three grand brand new. So anyway, um, I put it back online. I sold it for 900 bucks. <laughs> I made $400 profit, right? In this place, four weeks, you know? <laughs> now, I'm telling you this story for a reason. So I had to go down this stupid, steep driveway, back my trailer in, we put it on the new. Anyway, so we ended up selling this, this stupid bed for not. So now I've got $400 cash extra in my pocket. I look on Marketplace again. I find another bed, right? And again, it's a couple of years old. It doesn't look quite as good, but it looks really comfortable. And it's got a bed head and it was $700, right? Um, but this bed brand new is about, again, three grand. So instead of spending three grand on a brand new bed that's not going to get slept in very much, I've spent $700. Yeah, well, in yeah. fact, it's only cost me $300 because my $400 profit I made yeah. on the bed is contributed to it and I'm happy, right? Now, yes, it did take, you know, several hours out of my weekend, but it was a bit of fun, right? I could have gone to Harvey Norman and bought one brand new and whatever, And but that's the way. Even today, I'm still trying to save money and being a bit frugal. Now, I'm not always as frugal on other things. I'll, if I'm going to buy a pair of shoes, I'm going to buy brand new, right? Um, I'm going to buy a brand new pillow. Like, there's certain things in life that you will spend your money on and, you um, and you've got to have a good pair of shoes in life, right? Because you spend two thirds of your life in shoes. Um, and as, as for your other question about having a high income, one of the best investments you can make, Damien, mm. is investing in yourself. And I think um, I do a lot of personal development and anything you can do to improve the way you think, the way you operate is a really good investment. So keep being hard on yourself, keep investing in yourself, keep believing in yourself. Because that's the kind of thing that will help you get ahead. It'll make you a money bag. It'll make you a more attractive person. Like you doing these podcasts is fantastic. You'll be sucking yeah. in lots of knowledge from me and other people who come on here and share knowledge. That's great. 
And that's going to go into your psyche and you're sharing that with your friends and colleagues. Fantastic thing to do. So, um, and then when you've got the opportunity to move to a new position, take it. There might be a couple of calculated risks. Don't do anything stupid with a, a career move, mm. but make sure it's a good one. Make sure it's going to stretch you. Make sure you can learn um, as much as you can because it's that knowledge and skill. But I think thing for me, if I'm recruiting someone, the number one thing I'm looking for is attitude. I'm looking for how well a person is going to fit within the culture of my company, as well as their skill. That's definitely important. But number one, it's their attitude. How am I going to get on with this person? Are they going to be a mm. contributor or a detractor? Are they going to help build the company up or try and tear it down and undermine it? And I think you've got to do that in your own life and, and take on those things yeah, that will sure. help you get ahead in life. Something you said just real quick about like opportunities in for, for job or career development. What What could you say to the notion of saying yes to opportunities and just sort of throwing yourself into things and having a go? Do you, does that make sense? Mm, kind of. I'll explain what you mean, though. Mm. So my dad, my dad loves a movie called Sliding Doors. It's yep. uh, it's a Gwyneth Paltrow rom com yeah, or something. Yeah, I finally yeah. watched it with my dad. It's a pretty terrible movie, but the story of it for anyone that hasn't yeah. seen it is like a lady misses a train. And her life goes off in one direction. And at the same time, you see another, I guess, universe where she gets on, uh, where she misses the train and how those things, you know, divert and the different uh, way your life can go based on one mm. singular moment. And I think mm. about that now with jobs I've taken and where that's led me and the people I've met or jobs I missed out on at the start of COVID. I really wanted to join the military and I, it didn't work out the way I wanted to. And I was heartbroken, but now I am where I am and I can understand that it was all just supposed to happen the way it happened. And I just wondered, like, when you think back on your own life, is that something you can sort of connect to that maybe there, there were things in your life where you had it planned to the nth degree to go a certain way and it all crashed at your feet and you thought the world was over and then yep. it's turned out well anyway. Yeah, look, lots of lots of examples there, Damien. I think um, for me, like, you know, I went to uni, uh, did a degree in economics and worked in government for a number of years and then started my own business. And look, I, I think for me, if I had my time again, I probably, I really enjoyed studying economics because it was fascinating, but I probably would have done a business degree or an MBA. Um, I did a right, master right. in economics instead, but it wasn't as applied. So a lot of my business knowledge has been learned on the job and through contacts mm. and doing courses. So I think um, a lot of the courses available these days are far more practical. So rather than taking a generic, you know, Bachelor of Arts, which they're trying to <laughs> downplay at uni and make it cost more money, yeah. is do something yeah. more applied, I guess, is all I'm saying. Um, and look, you're going to face setbacks. You know, for me, I, I lost a lot of money when I was earlier on in my life when I went and uh, got in partnership with a developer and he, he, he swindled the money from us. And um, that was really heartbreaking, very depressing. But I learned so much about myself and, and you know, and I'm just still grateful today I am where I am. You know, going for a walk this morning, I'm thankful for my wife and my kids and my family and, and my friends and my network and my team. Like, you've just got to have an attitude of gratitude every day despite the hardships that you might be facing and know that, Whatever you're going through, it will pass, you know, and you've got to, but you can't sit in in, in, in pity, right? You've also got to move on. And, um, but talk about opportunity, back to your point. Yeah, if, yeah. if you do see an opportunity, um, don't just take it blindly. I think it's important to research it 
and make sure it's going to help you get towards your goal and stretch you. Like we don't want to step out outside of our comfort zone, but I think getting out of the side of your zone is, is the time in life when you're going to grow the most. And that's something that I've always embraced as a philosophy. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to take that with me, Rich, an attitude of gratitude. Mm. That sounds yeah. really cool. I need, to, I need to try practice that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, uh, if people want to learn more about uh, what you do uh, or want to check out the work with Property Buyer, do you want to just plug all that before we bail on this one, Rich? Sure. So, yeah, my company's uh, website address is just propertybuyer.com.au. Um, you can get us on 1300 655 615. But just on the website, propertybuyer.com.au, it's got lots of great resources there. As, as you've said, I do free webinars. I've got a monthly update on the market you can subscribe to. I personally write about four or five blogs about various property topics. Um, I've got one coming up called Rent vs. Buy um, in a couple of weeks. It'll be really interesting. Um, and I've got a lot of other really engaging topics. We've got downloads about top 20 criteria, what to look for, all the suburb information. You can get free suburb profiles. So, yeah, look, there's a lot to explore on the site. We've just done a rebrand. We've got our new, our new logo and everything. So we're, we're pretty yeah, proud. Yeah, looks good. I like the backdrop here. It looks really sick. I like the colours. Yeah, it's a nice one. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to, love to stay in touch and help anyone that's on their property journey. But thank you very much for doing this as always. No worries. Thanks, Damien.